Good morning and welcome back. Throughout 1 Corinthians chapters 1 and 2, Paul has been contrasting the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God. The wisdom of man treats God's wisdom as foolishness, but believers have the mind of Christ, which means they have access to the mysterious and eternal wisdom of God, which turns out to also be the power of God. It has been strongly implied in chapters 1 and 2 that the Corinthian believers were not resting in the wisdom of God, but were instead pursuing the wisdom of man, or, to say it another way, the wisdom of the age. Here at the beginning of chapter 3, Paul will confront the Corinthian sin and reveal explicitly that they were not pursuing the wisdom of God. Listen now as I read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1-4. through 4. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Some commentators argue that in verse 1 and in the first part of verse 2, Paul is directing his arguments at his opponents in the church. By opponents, I mean those that were actively trying to undo Paul's work by casting doubt on Paul's character and on his ability. The charge would be something like Paul was simple-minded and not, did not bring them the whole truth. We do know that such people existed in the time of the early church. They were called Judaizers, and they taught that Jesus was the Messiah, but that to be part of the people of God, it was necessary to keep the law. The book of Galatians, for one, was written to address this particular error. Paul did come preaching the gospel of grace, which says that salvation is by grace through faith apart from works of the law. To those who think it is necessary to keep the law in order to be saved, this certainly would seem to be foolishness and simple-minded. Now, it does sound like Paul is answering a charge in these verses. But even if he's not, these verses provide some important information. They, first of all, demonstrate Paul's pedagogical approach to instructing new believers in the truth of God's Word. As classical Christian educators, we may want to pay special attention to what he says. These verses also serve as the basis for his charge against the Corinthians. We will get to that in a moment. When Paul first came to Corinth, there were probably very few Christians, and the ones that were there were likely very immature in their faith. Acts 18 gives us some insight into the situation that Paul walked into. In chapter 18, verses 1-4, through we read, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Aquila and Priscilla were Jews, and though part of the connection with Paul was their trade, it is also possible that they shared a similar faith though certainly they would have been immature in their faith. And then in chapter 18, verses 7 through 8, we read, And he, that being Paul, left there and went to the house of a man named Titius, Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next to the synagogue. 
Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household, and many of them, having hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. This passage talks of Paul leaving the synagogue and his ministry to the Jews, they rejected him, and going to the Gentiles. Titius, as a worshiper of God, probably immature in his faith and needing to be instructed. And then there was Crispus. Crispus believed and was baptized. So once again, we have an immature new believer. Hopefully this helps us understand Paul's words at the beginning of chapter 3. When he came, he could not talk to them as spiritual or as mature people, but as babes in Christ. He is not calling into question whether or not they were believers. He calls them brothers and says they were infants in Christ. But he taught in a way that was perfectly consistent with teaching those that are immature. He gave them milk and not solid food. None of this was problematic from Paul's perspective. What he says next, at the end of verse 2, is the real crux of the issue. They were still not ready to go deeper in the truth because they were still immature and acting fleshly or acting like the world. Paul is not implying that they are now unbelievers. He is simply lamenting the fact that after all the time that has passed since his time with them, they were still not growing in Christian maturity. What evidence does Paul give to indicate their lack of Christian maturity? It's their jealousy and their strife. Paul knew of their jealousy and strife because of their propensity to take sides as they vied for power. Here he only mentions that they created factions around Paul and Apollos. He does not include Peter and Christ as he did in chapter 1 verse 12. It is interesting that Paul says their jealousy and strife is evident, evidence excuse me, of their being merely human. I believe what he means is that instead of living as one indwelt by the Spirit of God and having the mind of Christ, they were acting like one who does not have access to those heavenly gifts. We live in a world where factions, even in the church, are commonplace. Social media survives because of jealousy and strife. In Paul's mind, this is a significant issue. It is evidence to him that they are worldly and immature. And this is the second time that Paul has brought this up in the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians. In Paul's way of thinking, this is a big deal. It is such a big issue that I believe it will be beneficial to spend some time exploring it a little bit further. I believe that the most extensive treatment of this issue is found in the book of James. So, for the next couple of days, we're going to leave 1 Corinthians chapter 3 in order to look deeply at the problem of jealousy and strife. We will begin that tomorrow. Today, I want us to pray for our church leaders. We are all, as followers of Christ, part of the body of Christ, and they have had to navigate worship and Christian community in the midst of this pandemic. So I want to pray that God will give them grace and that he will give them wisdom. As always, you can go to the hymn playlist on Spotify and listen to one of the hymns that we have selected. Join me now as we pray. Father, we are grateful for the grace that we have been shown. And we recognize 
that sometimes it is easy to allow jealousy and strife uh, to rise up even in the church and amongst fellow believers. Uh, We recognize that we live in a world where jealousy and strife is commonplace, but we also know that we are called to be salt and light. And so I pray that by your spirit, you would give us grace, that we might be transformed, that the mind of Christ might be evident in us, and that we would be able to go out into the world and reflect the truth of the gospel of grace, that we have been reconciled to God through the work of Jesus Christ. And may we go out to be peacemakers and reconcilers. And I pray that you would give us the grace and the strength to do that so that your name might be glorified. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.